continuing our series in the book of Genesis. So the title for the message this morning is The End of the Beginning from Genesis chapter 49, 29 to chapter 50, verse 26. Since early last year, we've been... Uh, on this journey, the book of Genesis, all 50 chapters, we started off very slowly and then picked up pace as, as the book progressed. The book it is foundational for our faith. So much, obviously, so much of scripture is, comes from here. And it, set, and it helps to, to set us, to, to give us a worldview, a Christian worldview. And it's much more than just nice little stories that you learn in Sunday school, as we have seen in all these past weeks. We have spent a lot of time on this book. I don't know how you feel, but uh, there's, uh, for, for me personally, I'm saying, well, what are we going to do next week, you know, and the week after, and, and all that type of stuff. Uh, but there is so much material, obviously, in, in Scripture. The last few weeks we have looked at uh, Joseph and his family and today we are bringing our study of this great man of God to a close. This is not the end as I said, it is only the start of the Bible and it is only the start of the journey of the people of God. We will look at two significant deaths this morning. Incidentally, Studies have found on that they did a, a survey of what are the things that people fear the most. And uh, death actually came second. Death did not come first on that list, which is surprising. Surprisingly, however, is that the thing that people fear the most is public speaking. Public speaking. So somebody quite cleverly said this, he says, it appears that when you go to a funeral, most would rather be inside the casket than give the eulogy. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but apparently that's, uh, that tends to be quite common. So let's look at the death of Jacob at the end of chapter 49. Then he gave these instructions, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. And when Jacob, and then verse 33, when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up on the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. He knew he was dying. And he made his wishes known. He wanted to be buried in Canaan with his family in the field of Machpelah. He had previously given his instruction, this is Jacob the patriarch, and it appears that as he reflected on his death, he wanted to make sure that everything, absolutely everything, was in place, just as he wanted it. I think it's good to make plans for our departure. We want to finish well. We don't want to leave those who are mourning our loss. Well, hopefully they're mourning. Hopefully they're not celebrating. He's gone. 
that you, you don't make their life even harder by, by leaving it all in confusion. Simple things. Leave instructions. If you're, if you're a firm believer in Christ and you have your favourite hymns, put a list and, and next to your will and, and say, Lord, these are the things that I want done. You, you know it's going to happen, right? We aren't going to live here forever. So it shouldn't be that difficult to, to already be making, to leaving these instructions. Spell it out clearly so there's no confusion. There is an art to dying well. The Puritans spoke of dying grace, of dying grace, which is the the special help God gives his children as they prepare to cross the final river. I suppose all of us are planning, are making plans to live a long life. That's why we have retirement plans and pensions and all that type of stuff. But in reality, we can never be sure. We can never be sure, can we? Whether it's a stray bullet or a a drunk driver, a heart attack. Who knows what will happen next? None of us know. Don't guarantee we're going to, all of us are going to be here next week. Any of us could be struck down at any moment. But for most, but for most, we can tell, we can tell that the, as, as a candle, we can tell that the light is dimming as the wax sort of melts away and eventually that light will, will disappear. So you can make preparations. You're either going to light another candle and, and whatever, but it, it's, it's not that hard to figure out. My grandmother, my mother's mother, um, 1947, she was gone before I was born. She, um, she was dying of cancer at the age of 53. On her last day, she gave instructions for all of her 11 children to be with her. My mother, who was the youngest of the 11, she was the baby, she was only 12 at that stage and was instructed, she was instructed by her mother to lie down next to the bed that lived in a, in a farm and to please lie down on the floor next to her bed. And as the time drew near around midnight, she had everybody, she called all her children, all except one who was, who was away, and said, and said this to gather everybody around the bed because she, she wasn't able to stand up anymore. And she said this, she said, I can see the angels coming to take me home. I can see them coming. And then she asked everyone to pray the Lord's Prayer. And when she had finished praying, she had gone to be with her Lord. That is dying grace. That is dying grace. For, for Jacob, there's an expression here, uh, gathered to his people, gathered to his people, which is a, a wonderful expression about where the people of God go, 
where we want to be. We want to be with our people, the people of God. And, and he describes here Jacob's reunion with those who had preceded him in death. His people were also God's people. And the assurance for believers is that the moment we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. There's no holding bay somewhere. And you can have, you can have, you and I can have the same confidence that Jacob possessed. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you pass from this life, you will enter eternity with God. But you have to have faith. You have to have a relationship with the Saviour. It's not just believing. It's actually more than believing. It's a relationship because even the Bible says that even the demons believe. They know who he is. But Christ has to have a relationship with you. We go to chapter 50 now and the morning of Joseph. Joseph mourns, verses 1 to 14. Joseph, in verses 1 and 2, it says here, threw himself on his father's on his, on his father and, and wept over him and kissed him. And then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. Another beautiful, tender response from Joseph. Notice how the only tears, and he's shed a few tears, hasn't he, in, in Genesis. Notice that the only tears that Joseph sheds aren't, aren't for his suffering. But they, they, he doesn't suffer for him, he doesn't cry for himself, but for the plight of his brothers, for the loss of his father. He's always crying for somebody else. And the suffering that Joseph has endured has actually, rather than turn him into a bitter man, he tried, it, it turned him into a better man. Suffering can push us, you see, in, in one of two directions. It can, it can create bitterness, in us or it can soften us to, to, to get under, to walk in somebody else's shoes at times and understand their plight. For all of his life, for all of his life, as far as we know, Joseph was a man of tenderness, loving graciousness toward others. It's really hard to fault him, isn't it? Now, God gave us the ability to shed tears. And tears are part of the, the healing process. While there is abnormal grief which prolongs the pain, people who suppress their grief and remain stoic are in danger of developing emotional or physical problems that are difficult to heal. Tears is one of the releases, the natural releases that God has given us rather than bottling it up inside. Because when you bottle stuff inside, it tends to explode in the most inappropriate moments sometimes and even affect our mental health. Don't be afraid to express yourself when you grieve or experience loss. It is part of the way that God has made us. The most well-known person who cried, who wept, was Jesus. It was good enough for him. 
should be good enough for us. Now, following his father's instructions, Joseph made plans to travel back to Canaan to bury his father. He was also expressing his faith and his father's faith when he buried Jacob in Canaan, in the promised land. There was this huge entourage, horsemen, chariots, officials. You can just imagine everybody going through the desert and, 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 and going to Canaan. And you can imagine the, the, the sight amongst all these humble Canaanites and everything else. I said, my goodness, they come to take over the world here. They must have felt threatened. No, this is just a burial. And the Israelites, the people of God, the Israelites, Jacob's descendants, they were called by the locals, they were called Egyptians. But don't be mistaken. Don't be mistaken. Their sights were firmly set on Canaan. Egypt was not their home. To everyone it might appear that we are living in this world, that we are locals. But the Bible describes the believer as an alien, somebody who doesn't belong here. Sojourner, somebody who's just passing through. This is not our home. This is not our promised land. Yes, beautiful houses, beautiful estates, beautiful cars and all that, and beautiful faces. You can look at this. It's, it's going to fade away like a melted candle. It's going to fade away. Temporary. Temporary. That's why I don't bother with Botox or anything like that. Just have to get a refill every week. Don't, don't, uh, don't be too, too hung up on this world. We have bigger plans. It's not so much that we have bigger plans, but somebody else, our Lord, has bigger plans for us. And that's a truth. That's a promise. We have to trust that. We have to believe that. And in verses 15 to 21, we look at this amazing providence. His brothers, in verse 18, it says, His brothers then came and threw themselves, this is back in, back in Egypt, they, they came and threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And be reassured them, and he reassured them, and spoke kindly to them. Now, after the, the death of the patriarch of Jacob, Joseph's brothers are worried that Joseph is just biding his time until the old man passes away, then he's going to get his revenge. They cannot comprehend, they cannot understand how after all the terrible things that they did to Joseph years ago, that they, how they basically hated his guts. How he can just forgive them. 
Forgiveness is bewildering. It, 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 the world cannot understand that. The world cannot understand how you can turn the other cheek sometimes. And so they come up with a plan. They were good at plotting stuff, weren't they, the, the brothers? But to send someone to Joseph with, with a message, look, they want him to believe that Jacob, before he died, left instructions that they, Joseph is to forgive his brothers. They're trying to save their skins. They should have been trusting the Lord. They should have been trusting God and, and everything that has led up to this time should have convinced them of that. Years, decades have gone by and they should have moved on. They didn't. After all these years, the love, the grace they have experienced and then they go again and revisit their old ways. Even though I find this perplexing, I cannot tell you how true to life this actually is. doesn't matter how old you are, how many years that something has been done. The old stuff finds a way to dig itself up. Dead and buried is, is a saying, but it's not always, doesn't always hold true. The stench seems to come out of the grave sometimes. Unforgiveness, conflict, all of that stuff. Despite the grace, despite the assurance, on the, on the, on the positive side of what I find is that it is good that the brothers own their own sin and against Joseph, that they're not trying to hide it in that sense. They didn't call their sin a mistake or a lapse in judgment as, as is common today. Have you noticed how the word sin is no longer a meaningful word, no longer politically correct for most people in our culture? Even in churches, they don't want to talk about sin or even the sinner's prayer. The sin in today's society is reduced to eating chocolate while on a diet. That's a sin. That's unforgivable. How can you do that? You see how we, something that brings death, we can reduce it to something so stupid, meaningless, because we don't like the word. There's a remnant of religious conviction there, but we reduced it to, to a fad. Sin is not a fad. That's why we have so many guilty people walking around in our world today that never dealt with their sin at the cross. There's no way to get rid of guilt until you first acknowledge having done wrong or repentance. Our Christian forefathers understood the word sin. They understood the Bible. They feared it. They hated it. They grieved over it. They fled from it because it is deadly. Satan does not want to be your friend. Satan wants to kill you. That's it. 
There's no other way to explain it. Now, when Joseph heard, heard their words, he weeps. It was, never, it was never in Joseph's heart to hold their past over their heads. He had forgiven them for their transgression a long time ago. He doesn't pretend that what his brothers did was, was nothing, that he wasn't evil. It certainly was evil. He knew the intent of their heart, but Joseph saw much deeper, much, much deeper than their evil intentions. So here comes one crucial word from all of Scripture. This is one of those verses that you need to recall, you need to remember. You need to have it implanted on your forehead. And when you look at the mirror and you remember what somebody else has done to you, you say, well, what is God's plan behind this? Crucial verse. Joseph looks back on 30 years of trial and triumph and acknowledges God's hand in every detail of his life. Here is this remarkable display of what faith in God, of how the righteous will live by faith in God. And it looks like this. You sold me, but God sent me. You were evil toward me, but behind all of that was God's plans, God's glory. God sent me. Joseph knows that the hatred and betrayal and slavery and imprisonment and suffering and loneliness and separation were all part of a much bigger plan. All the highs and all the lows of his life, every dark valley, every mountain peak, one truth held true. God meant it for good. Satan means it for evil. God turns it around and means it for good. Let's be honest, we all like the good days rather than the bad days. We all like to hang around good people rather than bad people. The question then becomes, are we willing to joyfully endure everything as the epistles instruct us, everything that life throws at us, knowing that God has allowed it and that he will get the glory from it? Are we willing to accept his will, even when it goes against our will, knowing that he will develop us through it? So when we pass through these hard places of life, remember that God is on the throne. He is in control. Let's not forget that, ever. And then we come to the death of Joseph, verses 22 to 26, the end of the chapter. Joseph, in verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. And also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. 
But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Just so we know, there are 50 years between verse 21 and 22. 50 years of lapse. During this period, God abundantly blessed Joseph. He was even able to see his great-great-great-grandkids. And then at the age of 110 years, Having served Pharaoh for 80 years, Joseph realised that his life on earth was drawing to a close. So he gathered his, his family around, as his father before him had done, and informed them of his impending death. And then he sought comfort with the promises of God and the reality that they would be taken back to the promised land. Always looking forward, always looking further even though death is now real. And he instructed his family not, just like his father, not to bury him in Egypt, but with his fathers in Canaan as a further symbol of his faith and the promises of God in the covenant of God with his forefathers. And as as you know, the Egyptians are into embalming people. That's why you go and visit all these mummies everywhere in Egypt. He wasn't buried in a pyramid as the local powerful were, like all the other great leaders of the land. He wasn't buried in one of those. He was to be placed in a humble coffin to await the day when he was going to be taken home. In in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the hall of faith that we call it, this is the event that Hebrews recalls. It recalls this, this act of faith that he wanted his bones to be taken back to Egypt. He doesn't, if, if I was writing Hebrews 11, I would have said, Joseph showed faith in God when he refused the advances of Potiphar's wife. Joseph showed he, his faith in God when he forgave his brothers. It doesn't mention that. What he does mention is he wanted his bones to be taken back to the promised land because he was looking forward. 400 years ahead. Now, 400 years later, Moses, in Exodus chapter 13, Moses would actually take his bones out of Egypt. And then after... 40 years in the wilderness, Joshua would fulfill Joseph's request by taking Joseph's bone into Canaan and burying him in the promised land at Shechem. That's Joshua chapter 24. And there is a... There is something here. Joseph dies believing that God will visit his people one day and take them to a better land. God will visit his people, that God will remember his people. Your grace is enough. We sung that. 
Remember your people. Remember your promise, O God. That is the same assurance that the saints today have. That we are looking forward to the visitation from the Lord. The truth that our own mortality bothers many is there, I know. The fact that cemeteries are full of dead people bothers people. That's why not a lot of people visit cemeteries. It's only dead people there. But have you ever thought of a cemetery as a a reminder of the promises of God? Have you ever thought of that? That death death is not the end? That there is more? There is a beyond? And Jesus said this, Jesus said this in John 5, 28, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. That's what Jesus said. Now, some final lessons. Some final lessons. Um, First of all, this is maybe a lesson, maybe just a statement of of fact. The remarkable similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible is there a clearer portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ than the life of this great man. I'm just going to go quickly through some of the similarities. Somebody put this together. This is, this is not me. Both men were loved by their father. Both men were shepherds of their father's sheep. Both men were sent by their father and both experienced rejection. Both men had a personal robe that was taken from them. Both men spent time in Egypt. Both men were sold for a price, for the price of a slave. Both were bound in chains. Both men were tempted. Both men were falsely accused. Both men were placed with two other prisoners, one saved, one lost. Both men began their ministry at the age of 30. Both men were exalted by God after a season of suffering. Both men forgave those who harmed them. Both men were sent by God to save many. Both men understood that God turned evil into good. Incredible, isn't it? Who would have thought that in the life of of a person God was already foreshadowing a greater saviour, his perfect saviour, Jesus Christ. Secondly, secondly, an important lesson is that fame and honour are nice, while they last, but very much short-lived. Joseph reached high honour in the eyes of the Egyptians. God can do that for his people when he wants to but it may not last. In the very next chapter, you see, which takes us to Exodus, a new king arises in Egypt who does not know about Joseph or his family. That's humbling. He didn't even know who he was. 
So, the lesson here is we should not get too excited about the honours and the powers and the riches that this world throws at our feet. Rooster one day, feather dust the next. People might one day say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but just a little time later be saying, crucify him. You do not understand, or maybe you do, how true that is. As important as friendships are, we cannot compromise ourselves to attain popularity. To our young people, I say this. I can assure you that those friends in high school now that you so dearly love and you think you cannot possibly live another day without them, they are temporary. They will be gone. And then you will go to uni and the same story. People move on. Do not, for whatever reason, knowing that, do not compromise your faith for the sake of saving friendships and everything else. Your faith is much more important than anything that this world has. Do not compromise your faith for the sake of your friends, ever. Ever. Thirdly, God is is behind every event that occurs in our lives. There are no accidents and no such thing as coincidence. There is only providence and the outworking of the perfect will of God. This is a clear teaching in Scripture. In Ephesians we read from the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1.11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything everything, not something, everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Fourthly, Genesis begins with a garden and ends in a grave. It begins with the living God and ends with a dead man. Why? because it is the Holy Spirit's commentary displaying the condition of man and the outcome of sin that we've spoken about. The message of the Bible is this. You and I are sinful. God is perfect and God seeks, he loves us because of his love, he seeks to restore sinners. Since he cannot overlook sin, he sent his son Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to pay the penalty for man's sin. And Jesus took the sting out of death. The son conquered the grave. O death, where is thy sting? Lastly, God's faithfulness transcends the generations. Someone said the Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life is not a marathon. The Christian life is a relay race. Relay race is where you hand the baton to the next runner. 
Abraham passed his faith to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph, Joseph to the nation of Israel. I am but one member of a team that stretches across generations. I have been placed here by God to continue the work of God that started in my grandparents and way beyond that. We don't know how far. And as the years pass, as they quickly pass, I'm discovering, almost at Christmas already, you have to understand that your faith is the work of a lifetime. That even when the time comes for you to join the those who are retired or in a nursing home or wherever it is, you never retire from your faith. There's no, that's it, I've had it type of thing. It continues. It continues, it's never finished no matter how long it goes for, how long it persists, the good times, the bad times or how old we get. Always remember that God's plans are bigger than ours. What we have to try and do is to finish well. Finish well. Our part is to live for God and our generation, just like David did, faithful in our generation and to pass our faith along to our children, to our grandchildren. Some of them will come to faith, others will reject the faith because it's a relationship between them and God. But even when we die, nothing of God dies when we die. We die, but God continues. The promises of God continue to live on. They bury us, but they don't bury God's promises. Our God is the God of the future. He is the God of the generations to come. Whatever might be happening in our world, in our country, in your family, in your life, even in your own head sometimes, all the stuff that goes on, the battle, the battle of the mind. I want to say, cheer up, child of God. Smile through the tears. Death is the worst that can happen to us in this life. Death is not the end because the best is yet to come. May God bless us as we continue to live for him.